Well, welcome. Um, We're so glad that you are here again. A um, couple quick things. We have, uh, hopefully you got the email uh, with the spiritual gift assessment. If you didn't, uh, if you didn't, come find us afterwards. We, we did email that out. Um, if you didn't get it, it means we don't have your email or we don't have the correct one. Um, on the Watermark website, uh, in the media section, you'll find all these uh, messages there. And So if you want to get caught up or go back and uh, re-listen to something, um, those are all on the watermark.org slash media. Uh, you can find those. Um, and then we are also going to be emailing you out the notes from each section. Uh, Brett, who is not here today, uh, he's put together a really great summary of each of the talks. And so we'll mail those out to you as well. Again, if you didn't get that email, uh, let us know afterwards so that we can make sure that you are on our email list. So we want to get those to you. And so what I want to do tonight, we're going to talk about a couple things that are that are, I think, uh, sort of the capstone of this, of this um, course. You know, the first night we were here, we talked about our position. We talked about how in Christ we are rightly related to the Creator, that He has made us a masterpiece, unique. Uh, he has created us to do great things, great works. He wants to use us. Um, we have then said, now that we know our position in Christ, we're to look at our purpose, that God's created us with a purpose. And then in the fifth week, we'll look at our, at our place. And so um, we looked at spiritual gifts last time. Uh, tonight we're looking at heart and ability, and we're going to begin to see how these come together. Uh, I'm really passionate about tonight because it, it, the heart, I feel like, it, it, again, is sort of the capstone of this, of this class. Um, so part of my story, just to let you know, I'm 35 years old. I was always into technology. I was always a tech geek. I was always the guy who slept outside and skipped college to go wait in line for the Xbox and did all those things. Um, one, one time I skipped college and then, and I was the first guy in line at, at Best Buy for the original Xbox. And then I made the news uh, and my, my professor saw me on the news. That was cool. It was a 360 actually. Also slept outside for the Wii, the iPhone, slept outside for the iPhone with our executive pastor here, John Cox last year. That was fun. Um, very relational evangelism going on there at the Apple store, but I've always been into, into technology. That's just sort, sort of part of my story. I thought I was going to make it big in the dot-com world, thought that that's where God would have me uh, making money and sales and doing all those sorts of things. Um, and, and oftentimes God has U-turns for our life, or, or not even U-turns, but just completely different paths for our lives that we never see coming. So tonight I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I got here and what I have to do with this Find Your Mission class. And so I have been married, today's actually seven years of marriage, so Really incredibly patient wife. Thank you. She's awesome. I took her to lunch today, and um, I'm going to bring her some payway on the way home. Um, but we have been, I'll, I'll do better than that. Um, we had lunch today. Um, so we've been married, yeah, seven years. We dated seven years prior to that. So that's another, that's a long story. I had a lot of growing up to do before we got married. Uh, but a few years back, about four years ago, I'll never forget, uh, I was on the computer in our living room. I was, in, I was at DTS at the time. My wife comes in, and she's crying, and I'm like, oh man, what, what did I do this time? And she's holding up this little stick uh, that means we're having a baby, okay? And so there's our little baby. Uh, his name is Noah. And so I'm like so ecstatic about having a little baby, being a dad. I mean, um, I, you know, I can barely, also had some fears because I have a hard time keeping care of our dog. And then I'm thinking, like, how do you take care of a kid? Like, what, is there a test that you take that lets people know that you're 
qualified to be a dad. There's not. It's, it's surprisingly really easy to have one of those. Um, it's harder to adopt a dog than it is to have a kid, but that's another story. And there it is. So we're having a baby. And so I'm, I'm beginning to think like, man, what, what's it going to be like being a dad? And so I begin to do all these things that you do when you're going to be a parent. You begin to develop this imaginary kid in your head. So you begin to say, hey, this is where my kid's going to go to school. This is what he's going to do. This is, you know, the kind of person he's going to marry. This is going to be his career. So when he goes to college, this is how he's going to dress. And you begin to, to, to really create this imaginary child in your head. And it's your first kid, right? And then on top of all that, you're thinking, man, I hope I don't break this kid. I, I don't know what you do to take care of a kid. And so these months pass by very, very quickly. And um, yeah, a few months later, there's Noah. I mean, a baby comes out. And so super exciting. Um, and, and we go into the room, it's really crazy, the baby comes out, we go into the room, um, our, and, and, and the OBGYN comes in, and typically when someone has a baby, right, you have like bubblegum cigars, um, I guess, or real cigars, um, it's celebration, right? And the first thing that we hear is, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And, and I remember thinking, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be sorry when you have a baby. That's supposed to be like a party, right? Not sorry. And the reason our OBGYN was sorry was because we found out about three hours after Noah's birth that Noah was born with Down syndrome. And so the reason that she was so sorry was because 92% of parents that are prenatally diagnosed with Down syndrome abort their child. Um, in fact, there was an article, um, I think I shared it on Friday of a woman who had a child with Down syndrome. And I think her child was in his 20s now, maybe 30s. And in the article, she said that, um, she said, every day I look at my, my child and I wish I would have aborted him. Okay, now you're just like, what in the world? And she even says in the article, it's an incredibly tragic article. She says in the article, she says, um, she, she kind of talks about different parts of this child's life. And she says there was a time in the child's life when she said, I don't know what kept me from throwing my child down the staircase. And you're just listening to that going, what in the world? And so we think, so we, we learn 92% of children with Down syndrome are aborted. And you're thinking, okay, that's like some stat that Christians make up. That's like some fake stat. And no, it's a real statistic. 92% of kids with Down syndrome. So that means every time you see one Noah, there's nine more Noahs that you don't see because someone aborted them. And so you know, I'm sitting there, I'm getting this news and I'm like, wow, what, you know, what, do, we, what do we do with this? Um, thankfully, um, we're Christians, right? And so we begin to, you know, we know that God is in control. We know that God runs this show. And so, you, you know, people will come up to me sometimes. They'll go, man, when that happened especially, they would say, man, I don't know how I would do it. You know, I don't know how you guys do it. If it was me, I couldn't do it. And I just would remind people, look, until you get to a situation in life, you don't know what you would do. You don't know what you can handle until you get there, right? And so what you do when something happens in life, if you're a believer, you just keep trucking along, right? That's really your only option. You become an alcoholic and drink yourself to death, or you trust God that he's sovereign and you keep going strong. We chose plan B, and so we kept going strong. Um, and while Noah is growing up, this crazy thing happens. We, we, we sort of like hanging in there, and we go, hey, wait a minute. What are we, why did she tell us she was sorry? This isn't really that big of a deal. We go to therapy. We take Noah to physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. It's really not that big of a deal. Plus, it was the only kid we'd ever had, so I didn't have any other kid to compare it to. I just said, it's really not that big of a deal. He's, he's doing the same things that other kids do, um, just a little slower. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. And so what we began to do was we pulled our iPhone out, right? I was into technology, so I go, hey, 
check this out. Why don't we do this? Because one of the things that I did is I went to the internet and I typed in um, blogs about kids with Down syndrome, videos about kids with Down syndrome, and all the information was like really cheesy. It would be like, um, to put it nicely, it, it would be like a it'd be like a really cheesy Christian music video, right? It would just be like waterfalls and these psalms that would just come up really slow over it. And I was like, these people are really bizarre people, right? Like, it, would just, it was just weird. There was nothing really encouraging out there. So what I did was I pulled my iPhone out and every day took a 60-second video of Noah's life. And I go, let's just make a website so that when some other parent somewhere is sitting in a hospital looking for videos about, I just wanted to know, hey, what, what's it going to be like? Is my kid going to go to throw the ball with me one day? Is he going to want to go to New York with me? Is he going to be, you know, a Mac or a PC guy? Like, what is he into? And I said, man, surely some dad somewhere is going to want to know the same thing. So let's just start putting these videos on the web and we'll call it noahsdad.com. So we started doing that. Well, here's what happened. I, I started praying. I said, God, look, God, I'm not trying to write a diary here. Okay. I want people to see this. And so I began to get obsessive compulsive about learning everything I could about digital marketing, SEO. God opened so many doors to connect with other people in this arena. And what happened was, um, I'll never forget, I woke up one day in December, or actually it was, it was uh, November, somewhere in the end of the last quarter of the year, and um, Target had written a blog post about, they had, or not a blog post, they had an ad with kids with Down, a kid with Down syndrome was in the ad. And I wrote this blog post about that ad. I said, this is really cool. That's what I want for my son. Like, they didn't have a shirt on him that's like special clothes for special kids. They didn't have like an arrow, like all kids are angels. Like, they didn't have any of that. The dude was just hanging out. And I, and I wrote this blog post. And I was like, man, that's what I want for my kid. I want him to be different, but I don't want him to be pointed out. I want him to be unique like we're all unique. You got brown hair. I got green eyes. He has Down syndrome. And so I woke up to this to our web host calling, going, hey, I think that you might have gotten hacked. You had 17 million hits overnight. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You know, that's like my, my grandmother, you know, looked at my site. Like, who, who, you know, who did this, you know? Well, here's, what, here's the crazy thing about how God works. So overnight, I wrote that blog post. I tweeted it to Target. I said, hey, thanks a lot. I wrote this blog post about this article. Thank you. I woke up. They had retweeted it overnight. Ad Week, which is a Christian publication that uh, goes to people in the advertising arena, wrote a blog post about my blog post. And they said, hey, secular organizations ought to pay attention to, to dads with kids with special needs and start including them into their ads. Well, that got picked up by the Associated Press. It went on the news, went on headline news. Um, Anderson Cooper's people was calling us the next day, NBC Nightly News. It just went crazy viral, okay? So now... We have this website that literally reaches all over the globe called noahsdad.com. And you can see we have an incredible social media presence. Um, in fact, just this week, I was looking at some Facebook stats. We reached about almost 2 million people in the last week. That's about 8 million people a month now that we're reaching all over the world. We get emails literally from all over the globe of people going, hey, we were in the hospital. If you were to Google any Really, any phrase about Down syndrome, we're going to be one of the top blogs that pop up. If you, if you Google Down syndrome blogs, there it is. If you were to Google blogs about Down syndrome, parents who have a kid with Down syndrome, Down syndrome pictures, Down syndrome, anything, man, we're, we try to be right there. And so we reach people all over the globe um, with, this, with this story about life. And we said, man, we really want to help people. Um, using the gifts of technology that God has given us, using what we're good at, using what we're passionate. And we want people, when they're sitting in a hospital room, scared like we were, to find our website. That, hey, every kid's unique, 
but you don't have to abort your kid, right? You, I mean, if you get a child with Down syndrome and your doctor tells you, I'm so sorry, tell her to call me, right? I mean, you don't have to be sorry. Noah's been in Times Square. You know, he was on Times Square as an advocate. Um, here's Noah today, this morning, as he was out the door with his uh, Pinterest pumpkin that his mom helped put together. Um, there's Noah and his brother, Jackson. Um, don't hate on me if you're uh, about his diet, all right? Um, and, and what we try to do is this, you know, just this summer we went on a trip to, we drove to Disneyland and one of the places that we went to is we went to Vegas and you can read about this on our blog, but we said, Hey, if you're out there, um, we would love to meet you. So we, we strategically stopped between here in California and many, uh, several places. And we had these tweet ups, these meetups, and we would meet other families that have children with special needs. And we just say, just come meet us. And they're hurting. A lot of these people don't have community. A lot of these people are unchurched. Some of these, we met a lesbian couple. I mean, they're just all over the place. And they, and they came, and this was sort of the common ground that we had where we could minister to them, meet their needs, help fill their hearts, and then help hopefully prayerfully have a segue into the gospel. And so it's been a really incredibly awesome, awesome story. Um, you know, people, like I said, people ask, like, hey, how do, you, how do you handle that? How do you do that? How do you turn a situation like that that most people would say I'm so sorry about you guys don't seem that sad and that's why I tell people like we're not sad like you got to understand like we're not sitting in our house like crying all day this is a really beautiful story that God has opened up for us it's not a story that we probably would have uh, chosen for ourselves but it's a wonderful story and we have learned we've trusted that God writes better stories than we do we know the truth of Psalm 115 that says God is on the throne and he does whatever he pleases and that everything he pleases is good um, I, I like to relate it like this. Um, I, I, I take note of these 3D movies sometimes. I don't really like 3D movies. They hurt my eyes. But we go to these 3D movies. And if you've ever been to a 3D movie, like Noah's almost four now, and he, and he takes his glasses off every time we go into the 3D movie. And then I can see that he's kind of frustrated because the picture doesn't look very clear, right? I mean, you can still see the movie. You can hear the soundtrack, but it's fuzzy, right? It's green. It, it, it's like wavy. It, it, it doesn't, it's not sharp. In other words, if you go and watch a 3D movie without the 3D glasses on, you see a picture, but it's not the picture the director intended for you to see. It, it's, a fuzzy, it's a fuzzy picture. But then what happens is you, 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 take these, you take these glasses and you put these glasses on, and, and what happens is the picture begins to look incredibly sharp. The picture begins to look vibrant. The picture begins to look exactly like the director intended the picture to look like. Because you're seeing the same picture that everyone else is seeing, but you're seeing the picture through a dramatically different set of lenses. So what I would tell people is this, look, we're no different. Like people, people say really stupid things. Like they'll say, man, God only gives special kids to special parents. I'm like, no, he doesn't. Like you should see some of the parents that I know. Like he doesn't. I mean... I mean, and really, 92% of these parents abort their kids. So if anything, God seems to give special kids to people that are horrible parents, that abort their kids. And we're not special parents. We're parents that know where truth lies. And we're parents that, by God's grace, we look at every situation through a set of lenses. And our lenses are the truth of this word. Our lenses, the only thing that keeps us from drinking ourselves silly is knowing that truth is here, that this is where... It's almost like if you were a ship at sea and you were lost, you know, on the sea, 
what you do is you look for a fixed point of light, right? You look for a lighthouse. And no matter how chaotic the sea gets, you look for that one fixed point of light that you can set your bearings on and you go to it, you run to it. And so for us, that, by God's grace, that's, that's all we know to do is that when life seems crazy, whether it be having a child that you didn't know was going to have Down syndrome, you lose your job, whatever happens, you go, God, this doesn't make sense, but I know what does make sense, and that's your truth. And so let me look at that lighthouse, let me line everything up to that, and let me go hard after that. And so that's what we do. And so if it's Noah, if it's cancer, if it's anything, if it's some surprise in life, you, you, you focus on the fixed point of light that is the gospel, the truth of God's word, and you run to it, and you trust that he's in control. You trust that he knows what he is doing. And you run to that, and the world from all around will look at you and go, how do you do that? How do you live your life like that? Because they don't, and it's a testimony to the gospel. And so what happened here is now we have a heart we have a heart for families that were in a spot like us, Parent, parents that had a child with special needs, parents that are hurting, parents that are scared, and, we, and by God's grace, we use technology, our gifts, our abilities, our heart. We put those together, and we begin to tell the story through technology. And one of the, thing, one of the reasons that we do that is we hope uh, by making the unknown known, by letting people have some videos and seeing our life, that when we remove some of the unknown, we remove some of the fear. And when you remove fear, you let people step forward in hope. And so that's what we're doing. And so I'm going to give you a definition of heart. Heart is a God-given passion for a group of people, a specific need of those people, or a cause to which your gifts and abilities could most effectively be deployed. A God-given passion for a group of people. And tonight, what I want you to think about as we're talking is who do you have a heart for? You know, for us, we really have a heart to that person that's sitting in that hospital room, getting that word that their child has a special need, and then the doctor, the one person you're supposed to trust, abandons you and tells you, I'm so sorry. Their second sentence to my wife was, hey, do you want some antidepressants, by the way? And my wife's like, I just had, I love my wife so much. She's like, I just had a baby. I'm not, I'm not depressed. It's like, I just had a baby. But that's our heart. We have a heart for those people. So who do you have a heart for? That's what I want you to think about think about tonight. Who do you have a heart for? If you have your Bible, open it up. Matthew 9, 35. Matthew 9, 35. It's a, it's a section that you know. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed, they were helpless. They, they were like a sheep without a shepherd. They, they were lost. They were abandoned. They were scared. They were sheep without a shepherd. And his disciples, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. To send out laborers in the harvest. So listen, guys, God is in need of laborers. God, God is calling out laborers and saying, hey, I want you to join me. I want you to, just like Jesus did, he looked out and he saw these sheep and he said, man, I hurt for them. I have compassion for them. No matter, you got to think about how busy Jesus was. I mean, everyone wanted to see Jesus. He was busy guy. 
He was walking on water. I mean, people like just wanted to touch his coattails. And he stopped and he paused and he looked out at these people and he said, man, I got compassion on those. I have a heart for those people. Let me ask you a question. Who, who do you have a heart for? I mean, who, I mean when you slow down, because we, we stay so busy, but when you slow down, who do you have a heart for? Who, who are the people, the people group, the demographic of people, but who is the person, and you can think about that in your mind right now, but who do you have a heart for? Who do you have compassion for? You know, we, we stay so busy. This is a hard question. C.S. Lewis says this. I like this quote. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are like little kids making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what it's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You know, God is offering us his holiday at the sea, so to speak. He's saying, hey, you're so wrapped up, Rick, in your own life. You're so wrapped up living a self-centered life that you're neglecting to see that I got something far greater, a mission to give your life away. What I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to give you Five principles tonight to discover your, your unique heartbeat. Five things. And, and I want you to just be thinking tonight, prayerfully thinking tonight about who are those people groups? Who are the one or two groups of people that you feel a heart towards? And, and, and all these questions are going to be meant to help you think through that. And so the very first thing is know what drives you. You know, there are, there, we, we said the first night there are a lot of things that can drive a person. Money. Wealth, status, getting a high score on Donkey Kong. There's a lot of things that can drive us. And this is one of those questions where, man, you've really got to get gut level honest with yourself and with the Lord and with people who know you well and say, man, what really drives me? Because those of us who love Jesus and walk with Jesus, man, we can go back and forth from letting God drive us to, man, approval of people, acceptance of people. But what, what drives you? Um. You know, once we fully understand our position in Christ, we go to living a life that is all about us, a self-centered life, to a life that's about others. And, and one of the questions we let, that is helpful to ask ourselves is, will this help me or will this help someone else? Will this help me or will this help someone else? Um, you know, as we, we say that we were God's masterpiece, and as we begin to see the shape of his masterpiece in our life, we begin to see that when we identify and focus on the passions that he's placed in our heart. So what, what drives you? Here are some questions, just some simple ones to ask as you think about what drives you. What do my dreams and desires drift towards? When, I, when I'm not getting real deep about it, but when I'm just naturally, you know, what does it drift toward? You know, if you're, have you ever seen that commercial? I'm not making fun of it. I, I have two dogs, so I love dogs, but it comes on at night, and, it, and it's like a commercial. It's really sad, and it's really sad music, and it's about, like, giving money to dogs. And I'm like, that's like a really heavy-handed commercial for dogs. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I mean, it's sad, but they're like, it's like, I thought it was like Ethiopian kids, but it's like dogs. Like, man, bless their heart. They're really passionate about dogs. But you might be passionate about dogs like that. Even the dogs are kind of like, whoa. (laughs) Like, whoa, turn it up. 
But listen, man, what is it that drives you? You know, the other people might not be, we, we talked about that the, first, the second night, is, is projection. You know, what is that thing that you're passionate about that people may laugh at you? You know, whoever did this set, they really like flowers. I'm not into that like that. But what, what drives you? What's the thing that you go, man, my heart beats for this. It's just a natural drift that I have. Some people don't really get super passionate about kids with special needs. That's cool. Man, because of my experience in my life, I do. So what's the thing that you naturally drift towards? You know, what motivates you to take action? You know, what motivates you to take action? I, I don't know if I'm just a wreck, which I, I probably am, but some people will get like super excited about going to Africa. Like, I think some people forget that Africa is a continent, you know? I, like, they go, I'm going to Africa, and I'm like, the whole continent? You know, like, it's a continent, not a city. But they get like real passionate. I, Maybe I'm just a wreck, but I, 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 God is really, I, I'm really passionate about the people here in Dallas. I don't mind. I would like to go to Ethiopia, but I, that's just where my heart is right now. And it's okay. Maybe your heart is for the continent of Africa. That's okay. But what, man, what's your heart? What, what motivates you? When someone says, hey, we got a trip going to blank, do you go, man, I want to take off work. I want to go to that place. I want to go to those people. If someone goes, hey, we're going down to the inner city. We're going to build some stuff. You go, man, I want to go do that. What drives you? Um, Know who you care about. Know who you care about. Um, You know, God has placed people in your life who he he wants you to help, help him reach. So the question is, who is God nudging me to help? And how can he use my unique gifts to help them? You know, you might feel led to reach out in the medical community. It might be athletes. It might be um, underprivileged uh, uh, folks. But who are the people that you go, man, I just really care about this group of people. And these are just, all these questions are just meant to help you begin to think. Here's some questions to help you think about that. Who do I feel I can most profoundly influence for God? Who can I, who do I just, you, you don't have to think hard about it. I mean, who do I feel, like I, you know, like, like um, I, I, have, I have a friend who works with, um, um, athletes in action, and so he works with these athletes. I mean, he, he, this guy is like really athletic. I mean, he, he, he's super muscular, and he just, I mean, he just loves that world. And so for him, it, it, like, I can't even imagine if I went into a gym and was like, hey, bro, you need a spot? You know, like, they would laugh me out of there and go, bro, find your mission. But that's his mission, and he, and he loves the athletic community, and he relates to them, and he knows sports metaphors, and he can get in the door to do chapels, and before you know it, the guy is like having the whole team I mean, it's just crazy. It's like a revival in the locker room. But who are the people, man, that you go, I, I can relate to these people, I can connect with these people. And, and God may be nudging you towards those folks. He may be nudging you to get involved with those people. Um, how can I impact them in a way that maximizes my gifts? You know, it's kind of like with, with um, trying to connect with people with Down syndrome. I was like, man, I don't know anything about Down syndrome I just don't know anything. I remember, I, this, this is going to sound bad. I'm just being transparent with you, okay? So judge me if you want. But I remember asking my wife, I said, man, is, he, is Noah going to be like, this isn't a joke. I said, is Noah going to be like Christopher Reeves? And my wife, who's a doctor, looked at me and said, Christopher Reeves fell off a horse, Rick. <laughs> I didn't know anything. I didn't know anyone about Down I didn't know anybody with Down syndrome. I don't know what you do if you have Down syndrome. And here's the crazy thing. I said, how, God, how would you ever use my gifts to connect with these people? I don't know anything about them. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use your goofiness, your wackiness 
your, your love for technology that I've given you, and I'm going to find a way to put those things together in a way that you'll never expect. And two years later, you'll be working at a church using those same gifts in a church that has three locations helping produce the gospel in more places. That's how God works. God loves bad odds. He loves it when you don't think there's any way he can do it because he gets the glory, not you. You can't go, hey, this was my idea. God goes, no, I, I, got the, I get the credit. That's how God gets glory. Um, um, know the needs. Um, let me see, I skipped one here. Know the needs you will meet. I didn't put that in here, but know the needs you will meet. Once you think about your audience, once you think about who is the people group, what are the needs that you want to meet? For us, for us, we wanted to connect with, with parents that were in the same place as us. Now, God's expanded that in our lives. But what is a need that you can meet? And, and, and oftentimes, you don't even know this until you're in a, in a group. My wife, you know, I told you she's a pediatrician. She used to work at the emergency room. And she gets in there, and I remember um, when she first went to work at a hospital, I remember that, that maybe she was in med school, but, but someone, someone died. A kid died, and it was horrible. And she came home, and she was a wreck. And, 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 I go, and she goes, hey, they, they don't really have anything at the hospital to help us with that. And like, no one asked me, like, hey, how are you doing with this? They just said, hey, another day at the office. And I went home, and she's like, I don't know how to process this. And she began to just think, man, but I, I want to find a way to help other people that are new doctors walk through something like this. So know who you care about. What's the need? And for her, she said, hey, there needs to be a spot when you're a doctor and you lose a patient and someone, by God, God takes that person home. How do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? And she goes, I, I want to help them do that. And so what's a specific need that you can meet? Be specific. Um, I, I love 2 Corinthians 1, 4. It says this, that he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are tr- troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given, given us. Isn't that cool? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of cool and it's kind of scary that God comforts us in our troubles. So it tells us, one, there will be troubles in life. So if you're ever anywhere at any church anywhere and they tell you that there won't be troubles in life, leave that church. You're in a bad church. Okay, litmus test 101, if you're in a bad church, they tell you everything will be well with you all your life. The Bible says you will have troubles, expect them. But you will also have a God who will comfort you in all of your troubles. You know what was crazy when Noah was born? This is really crazy. This is so crazy. Don't ever do this. Don't ever say God, don't, you know, don't ever try to outplan God. The night before Noah was born, we, Abby, my wife had a C-section. She had high blood pressure, so we knew we were going in the next morning. We sat in a, in a Mexican restaurant in Mesquite, Texas, and I prayed, and I said, God, thank you that um, all of our tests, all, all of the things that we know, our sonograms about Noah are healthy. I don't know that I could handle being a parent of a special needs kid. And I think I even journaled that. And I could just see God winking, you know, like looking at me like, oh man, really? Like, <laughs> really? And I remember praying that. And, and then that next day, just going, whoa, like it just blew. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And I remember saying, I don't think I can handle it. And I told my wife that. But it, you know what's amazing is the peace that God gives you. You know, you preach that. If you're in ministry, you preach that to people a lot. You say, man, God will comfort you. God will comfort you. But really, like, the worst thing I ever went through, I mean, like, my grandmother passed away, who was a believer. I mean, like, I didn't have a lot of this crazy stuff like that happened in my life. And then that happened. 
And now when I tell someone, hey, God really will comfort you, that's not just seminary talk. I've lived that. God really does comfort you in your affliction, even when you can't imagine it. And you don't know until you get there. Otherwise, you wouldn't need faith. You walk forward. And then God says, when you get there in your trouble, I will find you and I will comfort you. And then you will then take that comfort and comfort other people who are hurting. So think about that in your life. Maybe there's a painful experience in your life that you've gone through that God wants to use to comfort others. You know, we live in a world that, that, that doesn't really value transparency. You know, even in the church world, you know that? Like, I have friends, you know, I went to seminary, and so then when you're in seminary, you have friends that go work at other churches, and you just begin to tell them. You go to dinner or whatever, and they go, hey, how's life? And you, and you go, hey, man, I'm really glad that you asked how my life is. I was a really big jerk to my wife the other day. Here's what I did. Man, would you pray for me? Or here's it. And they're like, whoa. I mean, most people just go, hey, everything's great. Even in the church world, we're a little bizarre at Watermark, I think, because we really value transparency. We really value not putting on a front for people. And so one of the, I think one of the attacks that the enemy does to us is, hey, he goes, hey, hide your testimony. You know, don't tell your testimony. Don't tell anyone what you've gone through. Look, you've got to get over that. You've got to get over that because God wants to use your testimony. There's a quote that I love, and, and God, it goes like this. God wants to turn your, your scars into stars. Um, you know, really all a scar is is what? A scar is just proof that healing has happened. And so do never, don't ever be embarrassed by your scars. Don't ever be embarrassed by who you used to be. Because God wants to use who you used to be to, to change someone else, to give someone else hope. And so that's why when you go to, re, if you've ever been to Regen, what's, a, what's one of the most powerful things is when people get up on stage in front of everyone and they tell you a testimony. If you've ever been to Reengage, what's one of the most powerful things about Reengage is when a couple that was filing for divorce gets on stage and tells you we tore our divorce papers up. That's powerful. So never be afraid of your testimony because God wants to use your pain in your life to comfort uh, to comfort someone else. Um, know, know the cause you will conquer. Know the cause uh, you will conquer. Um, let me give you some questions to think about this. And it kind of goes back to people group, but what cause or issue makes your heart race? Um, you see this a lot with, um, you know, race, b- breast cancer. I don't know what that is, but God's happy with us. You, you see this with like breast cancer, you know, the people will get, you know, they, they've had someone in their, in their family that has had breast cancer, and so they get um, really passionate about that. Um, you, you know, for us, we have Down, Down syndrome, we do the buddy walks. You, you know, w- what is the area in your life, this cause that you feel uh, drifted towards? Where can I make the greatest impact for God? Here's a great question. If time wasn't an issue, what cause would I donate my time to? If time wasn't an issue, um, where would I donate my time? Where would I donate my time? And so just think about any, any of those things in your life. You know, and here's what I want you to do when you think about that. You don't have to think spiritual all the time. You know, I think sometimes we always think that God wants us to go work in a soup kitchen or whatever. Like, God's got a lot of workers in soup kitchens, okay? He needs workers in law firms and in hospitals and CPA firms and everywhere else, high schools, junior highs. So, so think outside the box on this. And, and even like with us with Down syndrome, you go, man, how do you even get involved in that? Don't worry about the what. Don't worry about the how. Worry about the what, right? Let God take care of the how. 
You just say, hey, what draws my heart? What makes my heart beat fast? Um, one thing I forget to touch on is on needs. And I want you to think about these, maybe even write these down. But I think sometimes when we think about, when I, when I said you want to know the needs you will meet, know the needs you will meet, um, is... Sometimes we just think that's financial, but there's more than just financial needs. Let me give you some. There's spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. I I, I think there's a a big need. The Bible even calls us a great commission, but for us to disciple people, for us to take someone who's not as far as long as we are, or maybe who doesn't know as much as we know, or whatever, and to begin to pour into them, and, and to help them learn their Bible, help them begin to know Jesus. And so there's spiritual needs. There's physical needs. Physical needs. People have physical needs. People do need to eat. Some people are hurting. People need homes. You know, there's all sorts of physical needs. Relational needs. People have relational needs. People, there's a lot of lonely people in this city. You know, it's crazy. You see a city like Dallas and it's so big. But there are a lot of lonely people here. There are a lot of people who really... We kind of joke, hey, you need a friend? Like, there are a lot of people who need a friend. You know, I meet people all the time around Watermark who are new here. They just moved here, and they really don't have any friends, not because they're, they're weird. They just moved here, and they need someone to, 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 be, to initiate. And that's why meet and greet on Sunday mornings, I think that's a really powerful time that we kind of laugh off. But, you know, I've heard so many stories. I heard a story, several stories. One of the stories I'll share with you was a girl that was on my volunteer team one time who was at meet and greet. She just moved here for a job. A couple next to her said, hey, how you doing? They took the time to initiate her. Her name was Courtney. They said, Courtney, where, you know, where are you from? She said, I'm new here. I don't know anyone. I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s. They said, we have this great ministry called The Porch. Can I tell you about it? They told her about it, got her plugged into The Porch. She got into a group, started serving at The Porch. A um, couple of weeks later, she was at meet and greet, introduced herself to a girl who also was new here, invited that girl to The Porch. Those two girls became roommates and serving at The Porch, growing, fully connected here. But they just took the time during meet and greet to take a few minutes to go, hey, are you new here? And then they said yes. And instead of just sitting down, they said, hey, can I get your number? Uh, you know, don't be creepy about it. <laughs> you know, be, have some discernment. But they said, hey, can, can, can I help you? Can I help you get plugged in? Would you mind? So take the initiative. Take those opportunities. Um, relational needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. Emotional needs. Nobody likes to go through hurting alone. Um, educational needs. And vocational needs. Those are the ones I got on there. Vocational needs. That's just, man, you know, we have careers in motion. I mean, there, there's different opportunities. Our, I have a friend that's going to come up and share with you a little bit about a ministry that we have here at Watermark that deals with relational needs, emotional needs, several of those, spiritual needs. Um, but think through those. There's lots of different needs. And as you begin to look through those questions, say, God, help me. Help me. Prayerfully help me find a group of people or, or, or a demographic or an affinity group of where I can use my gifts, talents, and abilities. Help me, show me my heart. Here's the last one here. Know your ultimate dream for God's kingdom. Know your ultimate dream for God's kingdom. I got one more quote I want to read you. But this is the adventure. This is the thing that gets you, gets you passionate. This is, this is where you find life. I mean, as you pursue Christ. You find life. God begins to reveal that masterpiece in your life. John Eldridge, he says it like this. He says, our goal here is to recover that adventure that God wrote on your heart when he made you. 
Your deepest desires reveal your deepest calling. The adventure that God has for you, you must decide whether or not you'll exchange a life of control born out of fear for a life of risk born out of faith. You must decide if you'll exchange a life of control born out of fear for a life of risk born out of faith. I wrote in my margin there, how is never the right question. You always let God deal with the how. That's God's question. We deal with the what. God deals with the how always. And, and most of the time, it never makes sense what he does. That's, that's how God works. He, he goes on to say, so if you had permission to do what you really want to do, what would you do? Just start making a list of all the things you deeply desire to do with your life, great and small. And remember, don't ask yourself how. How is never the right question. How is a faithless question. How is God's department? He is asking you what? What is written on your heart? What makes you come alive? If you could do what you've always wanted to do, what would it be? What would it be? What would it be? What's the thing that you go... You know, we, and, and what's crazy about this is, it, it just over time, things get buried in our life, don't they? It's like, I'm going to do that one day. I really want to get involved with these people one day. And we just keep burying. I, you know, maybe I really want to serve with the middle school students at Watermark one day. I want to disciple a group of students. We have an incredible student ministry here. Do you know that? We take an adult, we put them with a group of teenagers, and they stay with that group of teenagers until they graduate high school. Can you imagine pouring in to a kid's life from sixth grade all the way to college and then beyond. It's amazing. And people go, man, I really want to do that one day, but I'm busy at the office. I'll do that next year. I'll do that next year. And you go, hey, man, I know you were excited about that one thing one time and you really want to, did you do it? Nah, I'll do it. Like, No, just God, hey, what do you want me to do? Here's a couple of questions to think about that. What pursuit would release the passion in my life for God? What's the thing that I go, man, I'm really passionate about this. I really want to do it. What would just make me on fire for God. Think about that. What's that passionate thing? What God-centered dream can I identify that I have buried by my life? Some of us, that's like writing a book. You know, it's like, man, I really want to write a book one day. I'm going to do that one day. What would I attempt to do for God with the rest of my life? Think about that. Think about the craziest thing you've ever thought of, right? I have a friend that just recently, he, um, he always wanted to move to New York, right? And, and, and he just did it. He just goes, man, I'm just going to do it. And, and God opened some doors for him. His job let him remotely uh, work from New York. He wanted to minister and serve uh, people in that demographic. And he just, man, sold his house, sold his car, moved to New York. And there's like a really thin line between irresponsibility and faith. And, that's the, and only God can show you that line. I mean, really, I mean, in, in community, people who know you, but sometimes things look, irre- I mean, you should all, we should all be doing things that make no sense if we weren't Christian, right? We should all be doing things that the world looks at us and they go, bro, there's no way. Like, why do you do that? And you go, man, because I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus and I think God's going to use that. Okay. I mean, like, you should be a little peculiar. We should all be doing things that don't make any sense Unless we're a believer, what are you doing that doesn't make any sense to the outside world with your time, your talents, your abilities? We should all be doing things that make no sense. It doesn't make any sense to 92% of the people in the world that we're so passionate about our little boy Noah. They think, man, why aren't you sad? I don't understand. Why aren't you guys sad? We're not sad. God's changing the world. Noah reaches 8 million people a month. He has a worldwide ministry at four, three and a half. 
Don't tell him that. <laughs> God is using that little boy. And man, the joy to see, the joy that, that God is, it brings me such great joy to see how God is using our story in the lives of others that that far supersedes any sort of discomfort or fear that I have. And that's how God works. One last little section here is on abilities. So you have your heart. And I want you to really think about that. Your heart, man, all those questions are going to help you do that. And this is going to be a real quick little, little deal here is abilities. Your abilities, these are your entry points to the mission field. It's like, hey, I know some technology. I know some things. I'm going to put those things together. And then God's going to use that as a vehicle to help me. So I want you to think about your abilities. Now, you remember I said the other night that I always put abilities in quotes, right? Because when we say your abilities, it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's really God's ability, right? I mean, I mean, there's no point in our life where we jumped into our mom's womb and we said, hey, I'm going to rearrange our DNA so that I'm really good at X, Y, Z. Um, it's, all, it's all God's doing. Everything is a gift from God. Colossians 1 says that he made all things and he holds all things together. And so any talk on abilities has to start out with the gospel. It has to start out by remembering who the abilities belong to. And, it, and we have to always go back to that. Philippians 3, Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says this, But whatever gain I had, I count that as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he goes on to say, in case you missed verse 7, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is just a real nice word of, of making an R-rated word G in the English language. It, it, was, it was sewage. He says, man, I, I count everything in life as crap, as sewage to knowing God. Everything. And so we have to first understand that every, um, every ability that we have is a gift from, from God. Um, everything is a loss. We also have to understand not only that, but that we are, we're stewards, not, not owners. We're, we're stewards not owners. You know, Romans 12, 6 is that God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. It's Romans 12, 6. That everything is His, that we're on borrowed time. The clock is ticking. Um, you know, parents all the time use this thing. They go, p- parents will go, hey man, God gave us this kid. Man, we really got, you know, God gave us Noah. Like, God did not give us Noah. Noah is not ours. Um, if you're a parent and you're going to hear from my friend in a second, he's going to elaborate more on this, but your kids are not yours, right? We know that, right? If you're a parent, your, your kids belong to God. You're, you're a steward. You borrow them. It's an 18-year discipleship program, as Todd says. Like, your kids are God's. You, you're a steward of your child. You're to steward him. You don't own him. And a lot of parents, under, at some point in their life, realize that. The hard way or the easy way, you're a steward, not an owner. And that's the same with our, with our gifts. We don't own our gifts. They're God's. They're God's gifts. And you always have to remember that unless you get prideful. Christians typically err one of two ways. They either get really prideful and they go, man, I'm really good at this thing. It's all about me. And they make themselves into little gods, which never work well. Humans don't make very good gods. Or they go the other way and they become extremely um, false humility. You know that, oh, man, you're really good at this. And they go, oh, no, I'm not. Ah, oh, come on. It's okay to say I'm good at something. 
Someone today told me, hey, man, you're, you're really good at that thing. And I go, man, you know what I am? I don't mean that humbly. I don't mean that pridefully. God has really helped me. I'm good at that thing. It's okay to say you're good at something. You give the credit to God. You go, hey, that's God in me. You know, anytime someone compliments me around Watermark, I go, hey, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to serve you. Like, you need to know something. That thing that I'm good at is really, I'm good at that thing so I can serve you in it. I don't want to take credit for it. I want to serve you with it. It's something that God has given me. It's not my own. God can take it away. And I want you to think about this real quick. What are the things that you excel in? And, and I'm going to ask you in a second at our break to write to it. And this is going to be really hard for some of you false humility people. But what are two things that you are really good at? And, and, and kind of a self-test for you on this. Is, this would be something that someone, they thank you for it. And then in the back of your mind, you go, but I didn't even do anything. What are they thanking me for? Or they go, man, that just seems so easy for you when you did that thing. Or you can even ask yourself, where do I naturally excel? Are you a good organizer? Are you really good at um, leading? Are you good at shepherding? Are you good, um, you know, working with children? Are you a good accountant, a good lawyer, like a good physician? You have great bedside manner. Like, what are you really good at? It's okay to say, God, you have really given me abilities in this area. What are you good at? I want you to write two of those things down on that card. Two things that you go, man, I am super at this. Because of God in my life, I am super at this thing. It's okay. No one's going to look over your shoulder. What are you good at? But I want you to remember, anything good in you, don't miss this tonight. Anything good in you is a direct result of God's goodness in your life. At no point in your life did you jump into your mom's womb, arrange your DNA to be really good at that thing. God did it for you. And it's all God's, and he wants you to use it. God never wastes gifts. You understand? He wants you to do something. Remember the parable we shared last week? He gave you those gifts and those talents to do something with them, not hide them under a bushel. So what are the things that you're really good at? The other thing I want you to do on the flip side of that card, and I want you to leave these cards on the table because we want to take them and possibly use them for something that we're going to do week five. I want you to also write down two things that come to your mind about something that you're passionate about, something that you have a heart for. Maybe as I've been talking about the heart tonight, that you go, hey, here's a, I don't even need to pray about it. I don't even think about it. I just know this is where my heart goes. This is where I would go. If money was no object and I could volunteer for free, this is where I would do it. I want you to, on one side of the card, write two areas where you go, this is the, the group of people, the, the location, the demographic, whatever it is, the infinity group. This is where I'm passionate about. This is where my heart goes. On the other side of that card, I want you to write two things that I'm really, really good at. I want to end with this quote by, by uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says this. This talks about this idea that we're stewards, not owners. He said, Oh, strange infatuation that thou who hast borrowed everything should think of exalting thyself. We are a poor dependent parishioner upon the bounty of thy Savior, one who hath a life which dies without fresh streams of life from Jesus, and yet we are proud. Fie on thee, O silly heart. And what he says is this. He, he just quotes the Bible. He says, man, I'm the vine. You're the branches. That's what Jesus says. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Like everything in our life is borrowed. Like our whole life, our heart beating, if you put your hand on your heart, is directly a result of God in your life. Anytime I'm talking to an atheist and they go, man, I'm an atheist. I, I don't believe in God. I go, man, will you put your hand on your heart? Can you please explain to me what's making your heart beat right now over and over again and making you breathe? You, you have nothing to do with it. Even your very breath is from God. Everything in our life, the fact that we're sitting here is borrowed from God. And God goes, hey, I want you to do something with it. 
So one side of that card, two things you're passionate about. The other side of that card, two things that you're really good at. Don't worry about being false humility tonight. We'll just assume that you're all boasting in the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to come up, introduce you to a friend that you're really going to be blessed by tonight. So let me pray. Father, um, man, there are so many people in the world. And, and, and it can almost be overbearing to think of all the people who are in need tonight that we could help. In this room alone, we have more resources than most of the world. And would you help us to use those? You know, maybe we be reminded tonight that we can only do for one what we wish we could do for all. Um, would you help us to leverage if, if this group of people were fully committed about reaching, hurting people, sharing the gospel, hurting people, we could change this city. And so, Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to remember, help us to remember that every gift that we have, every ability that we have, everything that we have is a gift from you. Every gift. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tonight. We're only promised right now. We're but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And so would you help us to make the most of our time, the most of our days? Would you help us to invest in other people? We don't want to be the the guy who buries his talents. We want to be the guy who uses them and multiplies them. And so would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be reminded of who we are in you? We pray these in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. One of the things uh, we want to call your attention, those of you that missed last week might have uh, not gotten a shape form. This is where you can record your spiritual gifts, your heart, abilities, personality, experience. And so we've got some more up on the corner here. If you missed getting one and want to have one, you can uh, fill these in along the way, and then again at the end, if you want to turn this in, we put it in our database. So that sometimes there's ministries that we run reports, and based on people that have certain gifts and passions and that, we'll call you and say, hey, will you pray about being involved in this ministry? So those are uh, up here at the end if you want to get those. But uh, anyway, it's a real joy for me to uh, introduce uh, Jay and Ginny Burns, who are going to come up and share a little bit of their story uh, Jay and Ginny have been uh, good friends to me and my wife, Tana, for how many years? 11 or 12 years. So uh, they have been friends to us, and uh, Jay has uh, helped me a lot through the years in the community ministry, my leadership, and they've both been a real encouragement uh, to me and very inspiring. So they're going to come up and talk about um, their experience and a ministry that the Lord started through them which is called the prodigal ministry, and uh, we'll let them explain more about it. But it's a very unique ministry that uh, I don't know any other church that has it or is, is ministering in the way that they've been through these last how many years? Seven years. So anyway, I don't want to steal any more of their time, but uh, why don't you welcome Jay and Jenny? They'll come up and share about their ministry. Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, I hope you take home is if, you're, if you have a mission is that uh, one of the things I've learned is taken me a few years and uh, lost the remainder bit of my hair is just to never get out in front of God. And so we're going to do that tonight. I'm not, I don't have really, it's one of the few times like Rick was shocked that I don't have a PowerPoint tonight. I just want to let God work through us and we'll just tell you our story. And if there's questions or whatever at the end, maybe we can talk about it. But um, 
Uh, it's our passion. Uh, some of the things that Rick just mentioned, I wrote down, and I, and I think that's how God's leading me tonight. So we're going to start off, and just Jenny's going to tell you a little bit about our story briefly, so you have a table for for who we are and how we got here, and then uh, and then I'm just going to make a few comments about what I think that we've learned in our journey of uh, following our passion, like Rick was talking about dreaming where you might want to serve and, and how that all came about. So if it, I hope it relates to you, and uh, we prayed about it, and, and uh, we'll go for, for that. Jenny, go ahead. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm, I won't go into detail about our situation, but uh, we had a prodigal uh, at one point in our life, our son, uh, for several years, and we, we call a prodigal anyone who's far from God at that time, making poor choices, um, just in a bad place. And, um, so having gone through this with our son at the time from high school through till he's about 21, um, or longer, um, we went through a rehab, a drug rehab, and then out of that, a relapse of another rehab, you know, you know the story. So after that, and having gone to, if any of you've ever gone to a, um, a, rehab center for addicts and the family week, we learned so much through that and really what God was teaching us through what we went through. And we came back from that and um, we just felt like we wanted to share what we had learned. So because we were open about what had happened in our life and and, uh, with our situation, we had people from church would call and say, hey, can y'all talk to so-and-so? They're struggling with their son or their daughter. And you know, we know you've been through that. And we said, sure. So people would come over and we'd just share what we had, what God had taught us through our situation. And, um, and then we'd come to their house, we'd meet a few times, whatever. And it was great. Um, what we felt like doing was what God really put on our hearts was we'd gone through something really yucky. And isn't it so God to take something that was so yucky in your life and turn it into something that's really good? And that's what he did. And um, he just really laid that on our hearts so much so that we talked about it even with our community group for a long time. Said, we want to start a ministry. We want to do this. Because one of the people we ministered to had suggested that. She said, y'all just start a ministry. Call it the prodigal ministry. And we went, you know, maybe we should do that. Um, but our community group, we kept saying, yeah, we want to do this. We want to do this. And, you know, when you're, you say God wants you to do something and he wants you to be obedient in it, he'll just keep reminding you until you do it. So our community group, one day, one guy said, hey, you keep saying you're going to do that, but you haven't done it. And we finally went, you know, you're right. we got to do it. So that's what we did. And um, I'll let Jay tell you a little bit more. And my job is to correct him when he's wrong and to elaborate on what he says. She's been, she's been doing it for 36 years. So um, Really good at it. Yeah. So... She's excellent. So, um, you know, I was just thinking a couple of things is that I can't imagine, you know, first of all, I'm very encouraged. And I said, if nothing else, I know I don't know Monday Night Football, I'll figure out whoever has TiVo and DVRs tonight. But but I, I just can't imagine that at, at your age and stage that you're here and you're really pursuing Christ. And I wasn't even thinking about it till I was 33. And so I'm, I'm very encouraged by everybody in the room. And and so one of the things that I just want to, to encourage you to when you're finding your mission or your ministry, and it doesn't. I agree with Rick. It doesn't have to be a ministry. It can be at your workplace. And there's many times that I come home, you know, I'm I'm a physician here and a surgeon. And I've said, I want to go serve at a soup kitchen. I need to go into ministry. And and, and Jenny says, man, we got a ton of we got a ton of people doing that. We don't have anybody as surgeons. So it could be as simple as at your workplace or wherever it is. 
But one of the things that I'm just trying to think as Rick was asking me, what are the things, if I were in your seat, that would be holding me up from doing something that looks peculiar, like, like, uh, uh, like me taking a day off work in the height of my earning career. My partners do not understand why I took a day off work and came up here and, and played Foursquare with a bunch of young guys in, in the community group. And, and there were times I thought I was wasting my time, but I had a passion for it. I had a passion. And, and the whole time I was in community, uh, what I've learned as I've gotten older is I just don't worry. I'm always confident God's at work. Uh, and, I, and I don't get, I'm not getting out in front of him as much. And what I didn't know is that Wiz, I thought I was going to help them and be a, 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 a help to the community team. And I've told him that what he was preparing me to do, and I didn't know it, was when I had a prodigal to lead a ministry. That's what I learned from Rick. And so the thing about God is, is that it would, it, if I was sitting in your seat, I would be, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not prepared. I'm overwhelmed. Um, uh, I don't know how to start. Um, and the reason I love the story of Abraham is because God, I mean, all of us is that we want to know, hey, I'll take that step, right? Control freaks. I mean, probably high percentage in this group. I'll take that step if I know how it's going to turn out. Tell me in the Bible where that's outside of salvation, where he said, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Outside of that, tell me where he did that. With Abraham, I love that story. He just said, come. Come and follow me. And, and, and so I tell that to you, and imagine the people that we see in Prodigal. I'm talking about crystal meth and heroin and, and people that struggle with homosexuality. These are parents. We don't deal with the kids. We deal with the parents who are sidetracked, had never saw it coming. I mean, kids out of wedlock, story, I don't need reality TV. I've got prodigal every Tuesday night. And so you know what I leave them with? I want you to remember this because we get overwhelmed. How do I start, right? So here's what I leave them with at the very end of every newcomer's group. There was an Oswald Chambers. You can write it down, July 28th. Go read that. And Oswald Chambers says, what we call the process, God calls the end. In other words, He's got, as Rick was saying, what you saw, he said he's got the, the how, right? I mean, God's got the, the, the end result, and he just asked you to go. So if you're obedient today in taking that next step, and you're obedient and you're faithful to him today, it's not as overwhelming, and he says, well done, today. And then you do that tomorrow. That's how you do it. That's how you go and find it. And that's what gives people comfort when they're overwhelmed and their life's been shattered. And it's what you should do as you're trying to find your mission. So the thing that I would also agree with, with Rick, when he's writing your passion, okay, for the first time in my life, I mean, I was a worship leader for seven years and, and uh, at another church. And uh, yeah, I'm sure that was God's will and, and, and whatever. But after that, Hunter, our son, got sidetracked, and we really thought, you know, Jenny, in the sake of time, you know, we can't go into all the details, but his life was on the line. I, I was not, a, I was not, it was not a matter of, of if he was going to die, it was when he was going to die, and how I was going to heal it, how I was going to deal with that, and so going through that process uh, led us to a very dark place, but uh, Hebrews 12 says, you know, endure hardship is discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who will be trained by it. And so if you're struggling, man, you've got experience. You know how you get to be a prodigal leader? You've got to have a prodigal. 
That's, that's the ticket. You, you don't want to be the prodigal, the prodigal leadership, okay? But if you, but if you do it, then, then we want to live out 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, right? Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So when I had a guy in, on staff that I respected come to my house and ask me for advice, who I would have come to advice for any other issue, I said, why are you coming to me? you got, you got all these giants in your community. And they go... They haven't walked what you've walked. They, they, don't, they haven't walked this path. So God's going to put you in circumstances and in troubles and trials, and I think that's what Rick's trying to get you to grab. What am I good at? What is God, what has he walked me through? You know, um, when, when, I, when my brother died at, at all too early an age, I have a voice with people in that similar situation. When I have a prodigal child um, and I've walked through that, uh, Jenny and I have a voice now that we can be that we that that, that it's not that we're good at it. It's it's actually um, and I know this sounds crazy and I've heard Rick just get to saying about Down syndrome, but I don't know who we would be if we didn't have a prodigal. If I had two kids that went to Harvard, I would just be out there giving out pearls of wisdom and be as sorry as you can be. I mean, I, I mean, you did you? I wouldn't give anything to offer you, right? But, boy, when I had a prodigal, God gave me a platform, and Jenny and I a platform, to speak tonight to you guys, to speak to uh, this kind of a group every Tuesday night that's struggling. And we have a passion for it. I know I speak for Jenny, is that when I first started prodigal, uh, and, and Jenny and I had that vision, I really felt like I needed a lot of leaders uh, so that I wouldn't get burned out. And... It's now been... We don't take summers off. We go year Yeah, it's, our ministry goes... Every Tuesday night. 50 weeks a year. And um, so far, in the time that we've been meeting, um, and it's debatable, it's, it's been about... It'll be five years in February uh, that we've been meeting on a regular basis. Um, we've never missed, a, never missed a time. And, you know, I have other leaders that... You know, one of the most famous surgeons in the world that's on my directional team, and one of the people asking me said... Man, you could, you know, you're, you could do anything you want to. You've done your career. You can travel the world. You keep showing. What, why do you show up here, you know, and, and keep serving us? And he said, man, I don't have any place else that I can go where I am guaranteed to see God show up every Tuesday night. I mean, where you're serving and you see God show up, you need to get that passion, right? So one of the things that we teach in, in Prodigal that I want you to think about, and this is something that came from Wiz for me that really helped me, a lot, is how many people have a, um, a mission statement, a, a personal mission statement that you've written out? Okay, a handful. Okay, so when he said, Rick just said to you, this is, he said, dream of all the things you want to do. Let me tell you a story, a real quick story. Uh, Alfred Nobel, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Okay, so you know how this came to be is that uh, Alfred Nobel um, brother had a brother who lived in London, and he died. And the paper got it wrong. At that point, you know what Alfred Nobel uh, did? He, he developed dynamite. Okay, that's, that was how he made all his money. So the guy in the paper in London got it wrong. So he wrote an obituary for Alfred Nobel instead of his brother. And so he got to read his obituary, and he realized that the only thing he'd done his whole life was make dynamite and a lot of money off of it uh, uh, for destruction. And at that point, he said, that's not how I want to go out. That's not how I want my obituary to be. So I would encourage you that a great place to start, if you're waffling, 
is to begin with the end in mind. Imagine your funeral. Imagine, imagine what you want people to say. And even beyond that, what do you want Christ to see your life to stand for? Because at that point, if you don't have a rudder, if you don't have a mission statement, it's hard to know where you want to go. It's no, where do you want to dream? And, and, and that mission statement allows you, like, I mean, I got up, I, hey, I've been, I've been doing surgery. I'm not bad at it. I, I enjoy it. But it's, it's, I don't, whatever your job is, it's a grind, right? Sometimes, I mean, it's, you do the same thing for 26 years and you go up and you're doing, and I woke up one morning and just for a moment, I said, gosh, it's Monday. I'm going to do the same thing next week. You know, I'm, I've been doing this a long time. And I love what I do, but we all have those moments. And all of a sudden, I remember my mission statement. My mission is to glorify God in all things and to serve and to glorify him and to, and to further the kingdom, right? So wait a minute. It, it, it's not no longer a grind because I, I'm in a position where people, patients are forced to come see me. They have to come see me, right? I mean, I, I mean, I don't have to, but I mean, I, I get to see a ton of people every day. and I get to tell them in the way that I act. Occasionally, I get to actually verbally tell them about Jesus. I'm bold, I'm peculiar, like Rick said, and my, my mission statement drives me to do that, okay? And, and so that's what he's talking about dreaming. Why do you get up in the morning? What do you want your life to be like in the future? And you are young enough, uh, and, and, and you're here in this room, you, I'm encouraged that you want to do something big. So begin with the end in mind. How do you want to be viewed, your character, you, you know, uh, what your life's about? And it drives everything. I went on this... Uh, uh, I know it seems uh, simple and crazy, but, you know, I, I went on this big adventure a, a couple of weeks ago, and I had all these expectations, and they all got, it was not anything like I thought it would be. I went on this big adventure, and I'm a bow hunter, and I know that may offend people, but I was out in the middle of the Yukon, hundreds of miles from civilization, and I didn't worry a bit. And I would have I gone crazy years ago. But I just said, God, what do you want this about? And then all of a sudden he goes, well, you got, I got you here in the middle of nowhere with three people who don't know me. So how about maybe that's what these two weeks in the middle of the Yukon is all about. So I just dedicated my life to doing that because of the mission statement. And it's not anything I did. It's because God blessed me. Anything I have, Rick says, is true. It's, anything Jenny and I have is, is by, blessed by God. So um, it's driven us to, you know, our, our, uh, our heartache with our son uh, caused us to have the ability. Uh, it, it blessed us by being able to have a ministry. And so um, uh, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. But uh, I know what I, I would say is, what am I looking for? If, if some of you decided you wanted to serve in a ministry or if you wanted to serve others, might it help you if you knew what I was looking for in a leader? Because we started with, our ministry started five years ago with four leaders and one person showed up on the seventh floor in the couches up there when we used to have them. And now we've got about 100 people coming. We've got 30 leaders. And uh, the, what I'm looking for in the leaders, I'll get people that email me occasionally and say, hey, man, I've had a prodigal situation, and God's really taught me a lot of stuff, and I think I could really help your ministry. They might, but that's not who I'm looking for in general. I'm looking for somebody that I have to go seek that is... Or they may be questioning whether they're worthy or not. When we showed up that first night, we were overwhelmed. And somebody said something really smart. I can't remember who it said. It was, thank goodness, that's exactly who God uses. So what I'm looking for are people who are humbled, overwhelmed, and just willing to serve, willing to be out of their comfort zone, and trusting that God will provide. 
And I've seen him show up so many times. And when you get overwhelmed, um, let me encourage you. Uh, you got an instruction manual. I don't care what ministry you're serving. I don't care if you're discipling your people at work. This is, this is I think, uh, I was a little bit um, off track because when Rick first taught me, I've got about two minutes left, so I'm going to finish with this, is that I think that I was walking out here one night, and there was somebody in Shiloh or, or one of the other ministries, and I said, isn't it great that we all have the same focus? And they went, wait a minute. This is for, you know, it was pregnancy and, 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 and are out of wedlock, and you've got prodigal. I mean, I don't understand that. I said, well, every ministry, I said, every ministry I found has exactly the same goal, right? Whether it's discipleship, whether it's serving in a soup kitchen, whether it's prodigal, whether, whatever it is, the goal is to build trust and faith and total dependence on the attenders on God, to build trust and faith and dependence on God so that they could have joy independent of their circumstances and bring God the glory in the process. So whatever your mission is, if you can get those people to have joy in the midst of their circumstance, live out James 1, live out the Hebrews passage, You've, you've done it, and we have an instruction manual to get there. If you're blown away, you've got an instruction manual, and it's called the Bible. And everything is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking. So don't be afraid. God's got it covered. He's got the victory. All he asks you to do is be obedient. Our story is one where there's nothing else I'd rather do. God has used our circumstance to build a ministry, and it started slow. We had one person, and the whole curriculum was built. Don't worry about the process. Don't worry about how it ends up. Just come and follow Jesus, and it'll work out. I hope that's been helpful. I, I want to share one scripture, though, that we use in Prodigal that is so vital, and it's Psalm 119.71, and it says, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. And that's what it's all about. Take any affliction, and, I mean, what do we do when we're afflicted? We turn to God. And through our affliction, we learned his decrees, and it's made us stronger, more faithful, trustworthy. So... Um, just wanted to share that scripture with you. For the first time in history, I may be close to I'm on time. So, Wiz, that's as good as I can get. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Are, aren't surgeons always on time? Aren't, aren't they? All right. Well, hey, listen, I, I hope what you heard, we're, we're so glad that you guys that the, had the burns with us tonight. I hope what you heard in that story and that testimony is that you know, you think they, in their diary when their kid was born, said, hey, God, this, this, would this one be a prodigal so then one day we could start this ministry and then change people's lives, right? No, that's not how God, God just, God, woo, he intersects our story, he weaves our story together, and we, and we trust him. And we go, God, hey, I, I like what Todd says, and Todd stole this quote from someone else, but the quote goes like this, when you can't see God's heart, you can trace his hand. Or when I can't trace, I think I messed the quote up, when I don't, when I can't, when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. When I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. And, 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 and that, that's what it is. You go, hey, God, when it doesn't seem to make sense, whenever what's something going on in my life, I can trust you. And it boils down to that. It's always going to boil down to that in life is, do you trust God? Do you trust that God's story for your life is better than your story for your life? And so now you hear the story about the burns and this awesome ministry that people are helped every single week. You hear about the story of Noah and, and how God is reaching people all over the world, really, with this little boy. 
And you know what, what can happen sometimes when you hear stories like that is you can go, man, I don't have something like that. You know, like my sweet little wife, she did like, I mean, I, I always tease her like, hey, you know, you were born, you, you like grew up in this Leave it to Beaver house, you know, you, you're like out of the womb, a little baby Christian, Jesus. And then you went, you're a valedictorian of high school, you went to Baylor, you went to, like, and she's, sometimes she feels inadequate. Like, I, I don't really have a story like yours. I wasn't really this crazy party person. And then God saved me. Like, I, I just love Jesus. And, and you know what? I, 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 Abby, that's great. Praise God that you have that testimony. And so listen, what you can't do, and we talked about this last night, is don't compare, right? And you don't go, man, wow, I don't have anything like the Burns, right? I, I don't have a little boy with Down syndrome. I, I'm just an accountant that goes to work and works really hard. Guess what? Here's what you do. You go, you put on those lenses of the truth, and you say, God, how can you use my story? Because here's, here's what I hope you got out of last week, is that everyone has a gift. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a talent. Most of you have abilities. Just kidding. Everybody's got abilities. But look how sharp this room is. Look at the talent in this room right here. And imagine if we leveraged all of that, and we said, God, hey, help us, help us to really change the world. And so what I want to get, and, and here's another thing. We, we're staying upper level sort of on purpose. You know, we could give you a thousand illustrations. We give you a thousand stories like the Burns. Next week, we're going to have another guy in here to tell you another story. And we can have a thousand of those stories, but we're almost staying upper level on purpose because we want you prayerfully to say, God, hey, where do you have me? And here's the honest to goodness truth is everybody in this room is unique and everybody has different passions, different abilities, different gifts. God's going to use every one of you the same. Not everyone in this room is a Dr. Burns. Not everyone in this room is a Rick Smith or a Rick Wisner, like everybody's unique, and God's got a unique story for you. And so what I want you to do on that card, again, two things that you're passionate about, leave that on the table, two things that you're really gifted at. You don't have to write your name on it, and we want, we want to use those. Um, we want to use those. I, I was reminded of this quote. I, I read this um, the biography of Steve Jobs. I don't know if anybody has read that. It's a really interesting book. But in that book, he tells a story of a guy who I believe he worked for Coca-Cola, or maybe it was Pepsi. And, and it was this, this upper-level executive, and he was trying to get the guy to come from selling Pepsi to, sell, to come into Apple. And it was before Apple was really cool. And, he was, and Steve Jobs was telling the guy, like, hey, we're going to change the world at Apple. People were going to be putting computers in their pockets one day. And the guy was like, nah. And, and, he, and so he invited him out to his house for, for the weekend or for the week or whatever. And, at the, and he was trying to you know, woo him to come work for Apple. And the guy wasn't having it. He's like, man, I work for Pepsi. I'm making money. And Steve Jobs, what he, he got the guy. And what he said to the guy was this quote I thought was awesome. And he says to the guy, he looks at him and he says, hey, do you want to sell sugar water? Do you want to sell sugar water all your life? Or do you want to come to Apple and change the world? And then the guy left. And then the guy came and he worked for Apple. And I think about the proposition that God gives us, right? He goes, hey, do you want to sell sugar water all your life? Do you want to make a fat bank account all your life? And, and so what? Maybe you get the house you want, right? Maybe you get the car that you want. Maybe you get the spouse that you really want. But so what? And, 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 and it's that same offer. I mean, Steve Jobs said, hey, do you want to come change the world? God really says to you, hey, do you want to come? Do you want to come change the world? And he offers you that. And so here's what I want you to think about. I, I, I hope that you leave not discouraged and, and going, man, I don't have a story like that. Here's what I hope you leave with tonight. 
that you go, go, man, God, you've given me abilities. I'm really good at something. Even if you feel like you're not good at something, you're good at something. God, I'm really good at this thing. I'm really good at this. And if I continue to work hard at this thing with your help and people who love me, I can get better at it. But I don't see how that makes sense to changing the world. You know what? Having a child who's a prodigal, that didn't make sense. Having a child who has, having a child with Down syndrome, that doesn't make sense. Maybe you're really into fashion. And you go, I don't know, God, how you could ever use fashion. Have you seen the way some Christians dress? They need a fashion coach. No, but you never know. Listen, you never know how God is going to use your gifts, talents, and abilities. You don't know. The only thing you can do is trust. Todd has a quote that I I love to steal Todd's quotes because he has a lot of great quotes. But he has a quote that says, he says, the reward for faithfulness, the reward for faithfulness is more opportunities to be faithful. You ever heard that in the Bible? Faithful with a little, faithful with more. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it here at Watermark. So listen, if you go, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be used by you. God typically doesn't just throw you in and you're leading a ministry. You serve, you jump in. So if you're not serving, your next step today, tomorrow, go serve. Remember what I told you? We don't have 20-year contracts at Watermark. Just go serve. Get involved. Start giving your life away. Learning, hey, I don't like this. I kind of like this. Just serve. Be faithful. And say, God, would you continue to allow me to be faithful with more? Okay? Plug in. Um, so leave those cards there. Next week, we got another guest speaker who you're, you're going to really enjoy. This guy as well. He's really been taking pictures, using photography skills all over the world. He's a member at Watermark. And God has got that guy doing some crazy things in some crazy places that I would never want to go. And I'm thankful God hasn't called me to go there. So let me pray one more time. And um, just to pray one more time. And um, we'll see you guys next week. Father, again, we do thank you that you've given us purpose, direction. You've given each of us gifts. You've given each of us a story. May we trust you that your story that you're writing for our life is better than the story that we could write for our own life. And many of us in this room tonight are going through pain right now. We're in the middle of pain. We need people to come comfort us. And so would you help us to look through the lens of truth and to go, hey, God, I, I know that you've given me this, you've allowed this in my life to, to turn it around and bless people somehow. And I don't know how that's going to make sense, but in you it can make sense. And God, would you help us to live lives that don't make sense apart from you, that the world looks at us and goes, man, you are foolish. And we go, hey, we're not foolish, we're faithful. And God, would you help us to be faithful because we need you to help us do that. So I pray for my friends tonight as they go into work tomorrow that they would begin to look at life through the lenses of truth and, and, and constantly looking for opportunities to be faithful so that then you would see them as faithful and allow them to be faithful more. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.